Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the You're Not Welcome Here podcast by Ecomatic. For this episode, we are honored to have Leboet Gurma, also referred to as Lily, an award-winning travel journalist that specializes in sustainable tourism reporting and storytelling. Lily is an Ethiopian, Ethiopian-American freelance travel journalist with more than 10 years of experience in sustainable tourism reporting and storytelling for consumer and trade outlets. Lily currently contributes full-time to Bloomberg Pursuits, the luxury lifestyle arm of Bloomberg News and Bloomberg Business Week. Prior to that, she was editor-at-large and global tourism reporter at Skift, where she covered the post-pandemic evolution and future of tourism with a focus on equity and sustainability. Lily's writing and photography has been published in BBC Travel, National Geographic Traveler UK, CNN, Travel and Leisure, Condé Nast Traveler, and Sierra Magazine, amongst others. In 2020, Forbes magazine featured Lily as one of the 15 Black travel writers to read now. And then in 2022, she was awarded the Bessie Award from Wonderful for most impactful piece of writing of the year for her story calling on accountability for vaccine equity from the travel industry. Today, we'll be speaking with Lily about her work as a freelance travel journalist and keeping with the theme of season two, Unsustainable Travel Tales. Lily will share some unsustainable travel travel stories that she has encountered throughout her incredible career. Lastly, Lily will tell us about the launch of her newest venture, Tourism Lens, and what led her to adopt an impact slash sustainable travel approach to travel. So welcome, Lily. Before we begin with our questions, do you mind telling our listeners a little bit more about you, where you're from, and your background? Sure. Thank you so much for, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, about my background, I, as you probably picked up from the bio, I was born in Ethiopia and um, I didn't grow up there. I left when I was just a kid and moved to the Ivory Coast, also known as Côte d'Ivoire, where I spent most of my childhood. And so um, I always say that I'm a third culture kid. You know, I grew up on the continent and then I went to England for high school part of my high school um, and went to the U.S. when I was uh, ready for college and moved to the Washington, D.C. area where there was a pretty big uh, immigrant community, lots of Africans. So that helped me adjust because it was a major uh, culture shock moving to the U.S. after Africa and Europe. And then um, I ended up going to law school for... uh, yeah, for three years full time at UVA Law School. And I think it was just one of those things that you do because you're not sure what your next step should be in your career. And um, so travel is, was always in the background. You know, uh, I took my first transatlantic flight when I was just a teen or even younger. So um, it wasn't a, something I saw as a career, it was just sort of my pastime. And it wasn't until I became really unhappy with being a, a full time lawyer. Uh, senior lawyer and then realizing there has to be more to this, you know, looking out the window and thinking, you know, I'd rather be traveling um, and I'd rather be writing because that was one of the things that I love to do. And so I decided to take a sabbatical and left. It was supposed to last about six weeks and um, it ended up being five months in Jamaica. And that's pretty much where I taught myself Uh, travel photography and then realized that you needed the writing to go with the photography for it to sell 
And I was lucky to have a couple of editor um, mentors that I met at the time um, from Matador when, you know, back in the day, uh, Matador was one of the first travel writing platforms. And so from there, I just grew my following. And I, um, I also should mention that, you know, the Caribbean uh, is a place that I chose really, I just fell into it because my first trip as a solo traveler, as an adult for vacation was St. Lucia. And I went to the Body Holiday Resort, um, which is pretty amazing. But that's when I started realizing that there was a different Caribbean outside of the all-inclusive. And so the more that I started exploring outdoors and going to Martinique for the day or to St. Vincent and Grenadines, um, I realized that there was so much people miss out on just by staying in, behind you know, four walls. And that was the story that I felt like I wanted to tell. No one was telling it at the time. It was not the Caribbean I was reading in outlets. And so uh, I started my blog called Sun and Stilettos. Rest in peace. Now it's Tourist from Lens. <laughs> but yeah, so, so that's pretty much where the seed was planted for me. And then I went back to Jamaica and I started the real, really storytelling. Um, and yeah, so I... I became a freelance travel journalist, you know? What a fascinating career path, Lily. Thank you for sharing that. So we're curious, how, if at all, do you see sustainability being discussed and addressed in your travels and your work as a travel journalist? And then building on that, kind of the second part to this question is, how do you try to incorporate that into your writing? Yeah, sure. Um, I think I see, I see sustainability becoming more, um, more commonplace now in, in in travel writing, but I will say that to a certain extent, we're just really doing more of the same. Um, but let me explain. I mean, I think that the industry model really overall hasn't really changed that dramatically, and I am not sure how you can change storytelling if the model hasn't changed. In other words, uh, you know, the way press strips are, are done the way the schedules for the press trips are put together. It's, it's definitely improving from some destinations, but I think that overall, um, you know, the metrics haven't changed for determining what is a successful tourism industry. What, is it, what does it mean for a destination to have a successful tourism industry? How is it contributing to, to the place and to the people? Those metrics are pretty much non-existent. I mean, it's still the same measure of arrivals, uh, to say that a, a country is, is recovering and, and it's not accurate, you know? And so all of that is tied together. And I think that the consumer side is failing to see the industry side and, and tourism is just so uh, compartmentalized. And so, yes, you'll see more talk about sustainability. Oh, this hotel is eco-friendly you know, friendly and and this and that. And, and this company is contributing to 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 communities and, and doing amazing things. But when you look at it holistically, I think that we still have a long way to go. For myself, I can say I've, I've had considerable on the ground experience um, in being able to tell the difference between what is sustainable, what isn't, what's marketing, what's greenwashing, what isn't. And so over the years of my career as a travel writer and travel journalist, I've learned to ask the right questions um, and, and I've learned to keep my, my skepticism, um, my skeptical hat on to, to know what's missing and what's not. And, and I'm not perfect. And I'll tell you that the way I've learned is by, by seeing the mistakes, right, uh, while I'm on the road. 
So, I mean, I could give you an example. Uh, I was on this incredible uh, indigenous Quebec trip to see the indigenous side of, of Quebec, which I personally didn't even know <laughs> existed. Um, and that's why I was really excited to go. And I had an amazing experience, but there was one part of that itinerary, uh, for example, that said that we were going to go hiking and view bears. This is in the Northern part of Quebec. And it, it didn't occur to me to question that, you know, and to say, well, what does that mean exactly? You know, like I just assumed it was in the wild, you know, and I was a little actually afraid of, of doing it. But I was like, this is a once in a lifetime experience. But what it ended up being is uh, going into this sort of attraction, you know, where you have a platform, you know, you've got like these benches, you know, and then um, it's it's all fenced off. And then there are a few bears that show up every day at the same time because they're being fed by the same guy um, every day at the same hour. Um, and so I had no idea that's what it was going to be and ended up thinking, gosh, I, should, I really should have asked, I should have probed, right? Um, the other type of, of lesson and, and the way that I incorporate sustainability in my work is, is asking what is missing, you know, whose voice is being omitted, whose story is being omitted from this itinerary or from what I'm being shown of what I'm being told, um, and why. Yeah, it, it resonates with me deeply, and I really appreciate what you said. I, um, I, am, I think what you just said about the idea of asking whose voice isn't being told here and whose voice isn't included, you know, it's, it happens so often in tourism. It's something we tend to look over, especially like when we're on vacation, right? So it's like we're, you know, sand feet are like the shoes off. You know, I don't want to think about the world's problems. And you just kind of grace over it. I'll share a quick example that reminded me of what you were saying, kind of a, of the indigenous perspective. I was just in Franchuk, South Africa, and what was fascinating to me is the local museum there starts at the history of the French Huguenots. But there was natives that were living there in the Khoisan long before the French colonized the area, and there's no mention of that. And so it was really interesting, and I totally appreciate your perspective, yeah. especially from a writing perspective, to be able to share those stories. I mean, I can tell you another example is, for example, if you go to Santo Domingo, which is the capital of the uh, of the Dominican Republic and is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, right? It's the first, you know, urban settlement that the Spaniards built in the Americas, and so you have all these buildings that will, you know date back to 16th century, etc. But no one stops to ask who built them or you know, what about the period of slavery, you know, and there's absolutely nothing, nothing about the Africans who were there in that colonial city. And so um, everything from the tourist plaques to the information you're getting in the museums is all from a European perspective. And it took me years to uncover the African side of that story. And, and, and I only did because I speak Spanish. So I was able to connect with faculty at the University of Santo Domingo, etc. But for the average person and even the average journalist, they're just going to go on this press trip and and just spew back what what the tourism board says. It's interesting that you mentioned um, that case because we did read that article in advance and we wanted to ask a question because we were curious about um, 
the angle that you did take for writing this article um, about the city that kept slavery silent. So have you ever received any pushback for uncovering some of, of these untalked about topics or has the public and media generally been open to learning about this hidden side of tourism and travel? No, I've got to say I've been pretty lucky. I haven't really had any any pushback um, or, or, or on, on those things. And, and I think that people actually appreciate it when you uh, when you share information that they never thought even existed and they're learning something totally new. Um, and for a long time, these perspectives were were buried, you know, uh, and, and to have them on a major platform like, say, BBC um, for tourism is, is, is critical. Uh, and it's not very it's not often that that happens. And I think that's part of that switch that's happening in the industry from from platforms like BBC that and Condé Nast, et cetera, where they're taking a more inclusive look at, at travel content and who's telling the story. You know, they're, they're trying. Um, and so I have to give credit for that. No, absolutely. And I know that I can speak for both Kelly and I that we definitely admire the social, cultural and inclusive approach that you do take to your travel storytelling and journalism. So um, on that, can you tell us a little bit more about what led you to take this approach in your writing um, and why you think it's especially important in today's society? So what do you hope that readers will take away from this sustainable travel storytelling? Sure. Um, how I got to this in my writing, I, you know, I think about that a lot um, because people comment about it a lot too. And I, I think it part of it comes just from having a global upbringing um, that I'm more, I notice uh, and observe things more that, that perhaps others might not. Um, it's also comes from the fact that for a long time I was a guidebook writer and even though people throw guidebook authors under the bus um, I'll tell you that there's, there's a really good value to being a guidebook author because you're you're out there you're on the ground you're talking to all sorts of people uh, random strangers you know every day uh, whether it's the hotel manager or the lady who sells food you know <laughs> breakfast by a cart in the morning you know on the side of the road um, you, you meet so many people and, and throughout those, those years that I was a guidebook author for Moon, uh, and I just want to add that Moon Guides is very different because they only contract writers who have, who are very familiar with the destination and are embedded and really love it and, um, and have lived there for a long time or visit often. So having said that, um, so I, I was, two of my titles were Belize and Dominican Republic. And so all of those years of meeting so many people, environmentalists, uh, academia, I mean, because we have background chapters and I wouldn't be able to write them without locals, you know, local experts. I realized that, um, I realized the impact of tourism on small island developing states, on Belize, you know, the global south, quote unquote, and I realized that it just wasn't, it's not equal, you know, it's um, the mom and pops and the small tour operators were struggling to make ends meet or struggling to get access to our market, you know, and get and get the, the wealthy travelers uh, versus the big, you know, the big brands. And I would hear stories all the time, all the time. I mean, even from from my 
I had a taxi driver that I use all the time and he would tell me stories of like how the cruise ships would, you know, exclude independent tour operators. They would only go with the ones that could have, because you have to be able to afford all, all the, you know, to meet all the requirements that the cruises have or that big hotels have or that, or that the government has, you've got to have funds to make it happen, to get the licensing, to get the van, to get, you know, all of these details that I think a lot of people don't even know. And you wouldn't know unless you really lived in these regions. Um, and so that that is my, and then community tourism, which thankfully now people talk about more, but tourism that's led by a community, you know, they own the lodge, they own the tour company. That, that became my reason for, for my writing. And so, um, so that's, that's how I started incorporating more the social sustainability aspect of it. Um, I think there's a lot of focus on environmental sustainability, but not enough on social, on the social side of it. And so that, that what became my motivation for, uh, for writing and for telling those stories wherever I could. And, and thankfully it's easier now than it was back then. <laughs> yeah. Hope I answered your question. I think, you know, I, it absolutely did. And I think what you brought up about the social sustainability side, Jacqueline and I talk about that a lot. You know, it's great that sustainability is on everyone's radar right now, but I think it's often just focused on, on the ecological side of it and not thought about the social side. So I do agree that, that hopefully it's starting to change and that people like you are bringing more attention to it on a global scale. So it's certainly needed. Another thing that you mentioned, I think that's really powerful you know, you talked about kind of the difference between the power dynamics and like the wealthy people coming in to potentially impoverished areas and, you know, the, the dynamics associated with that. You know, it's I remember reading uh, it was probably about two or three months ago, an article about, you know, how tourism is essentially a form of neocolonialism. And so looking at that dynamic and it seems like a lot of your writing kind of brings out those social dynamics. So. I'm curious, you know, and I had read on their website that your philosophy, you see that um, that tourism is a vehicle for economic empowerment and cross-cultural exchange. And like you had mentioned, that you really admire looking at the social impact of it. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about like that philosophy and how you incorporate that into your writing and impact storytelling? So I really, I, I like how you approach this. You know, you don't sugarcoat it, right? You Like you said, you highlight <laughs> the kind of untold side. So... How, yeah. Can you tell us more about that philosophy and then your writing itself? So I, I do believe that um, I do believe that tourism, when it's done right, is a huge tool for preserving culture and preserving heritage, and um, and, and 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 empowering. When I say empowering, I mean economic, economically empowering. Um, people who otherwise wouldn't have any other ways to make a revenue, you know, and pass it on to their, to their kids. So I, for example, you know, um, I don't know if you look, if I look at a project here in the Dominican Republic where it's owned by a group of about 10 women uh, and two men who are from the same, you know, village and they built these eco cabins. They they obviously got some funding from NGOs, but um, but they run the place. They own the place. They have a little restaurant where they cook, you know, um, traditional Dominican meals every day. They're right by the river. You could go swimming there. You could go horseback riding. It's in the mountainside of the Dominican Republic, it's in the center of the country. Um, and 
I mean, talking to them is is really eye-opening that when tourism is done right, it can make a difference. Uh, they've sent their daughters to school through the funds that they made from their guests. Uh, they built a local uh, clinic. Um, they are actually, uh, they run on hydropower, so they're, they're clean energy. And, and it, it's amazing when you actually meet, you can meet the, you know, the families right there. The daughter comes back from, from, from university and another one is a doctor now. And it's just like incredible, you know, and, and you think like, wow, why can't this be the case? Like everywhere, you know, if we really allow tourism to be what it should be, which is a cultural exchange. And at the same time, they're preserving. If you think about it, they're preserving their environment. They're preserving their ways, you know, the Dominican ways the way they cook and and all of that is cultural heritage um it's so that's what i mean by you know tourism it can be empowering um i think i forgot the second part of your question um yeah so i the way i yeah so so how do i do it i think when i talk about impact i try not to i like to tell it as it is but at the same time i i, I think it's important to break it down and not assume that everyone understands the dynamics of the tourism industry and, and, and not assume that people would would um, would care, but you make them care through your stories indirectly, you know. So I, I try not to not to preach, but just to present the facts and and to explain through the voice of others, uh, those who experience tourism, um, why it's important. And so that's what I try to do. I, I, I try to inject as, as many local voices as I can. And, um, you know, I, I'm not the judge of, of what's going on. I'm just telling you how I see it through what I've learned, you know. I love that. And I think that it's so important to spotlight the case studies of businesses that you've seen out in the field that make you feel good about a tourism experience because I think we've just at this stage have lost sight of what tourism and the travel industry even can be and what it's supposed to be. Um, so spotlighting those stories of really standout memorable experiences that could act like a case study for others and remind people or at least show people what the true value of tourism can be, um, I think is extremely important. And it's something that I also really value as well as to spotlight local stories and local businesses, because I do think that they're the backbone of communities and they also are the ones who will care most about their surrounding community and the environment that they're in. Um, and you can learn so much from that and, and take that home and I think that it's a really beautiful approach and it's it's something I really admire and, and value as well. Um, mm -hmm. On the flip side, as we <laughs> mentioned, season two, <laughs> we are yeah, focusing yeah. on unsustainable travels tales. <laughs> so while you've been out, I know that you mentioned earlier that you've, you've witnessed greenwashing and now you just kind of understand like what sustainability looks like on, on the authentic front. Um, but do you mind going into a little bit more details about any of the unsustainable travel stories that you've seen over the years that has empowered you even more so to take a more impactful local approach? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I could give you, you know, so many examples, including the ones that I mentioned, um, Santo Domingo and of uh, the trip to, to Quebec, but I mean, even a trip to uh, an outdoor adventure trip to Maine, 
um, in the U.S. that I took, and and it's so gorgeous up there, and and yet um, there was such scant information on in the indigenous tribes um, of Maine, which I also didn't know to ask about before I went on the trip, right? So I learned this while I'm there, and it was a, a, actually a PR that told me this in confidence. Um, because she knew that I care about these things and and told me about the issues there with that um, at the time. And thankfully, it's improving. But at the time, and I and I remember thinking, oh my goodness! Uh, so here we are enjoying the outdoors in Maine, you know, doing all these amazing activities, kayaking on lakes, and you know, biking and and whatnot, and and very little mention of of whose lands we're on or or what the history was there. And I. That was, to me, that was pretty awful. And I, I, I you know, I went home thinking, my God, I, I'd never want to be part of something like this again. And I will make sure that I'm never part of something like this again. I will vet those itineraries. Like, I don't care if I'm annoying. I will go line by line and ask, whose business is this? What am I being a part of? What's the narrative? And um, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, you know, I contribute to, to Bloomberg Pursuits, which we don't take. We don't take freebies, but I am still able to go on trips as a freelancer. Uh, and I turn down about 99% of the trips that come my way because I find them not aligned with what I believe in, not aligned with my values and not aligned with the industry I'd like to see. Um, I realize that not everybody has the luxury of turning those down and, you know, no judgment there. But... Uh, I could tell you that some a lot of the pitches I get too around sustainability is just like plopping in the word sustainability and hoping that I, you know, I go with it. Um, but I, I mean, it, not just me. I mean, our editors too. We're we're very we've very watchful eye for those things. Um, and I think it's a learned skill. I think you can learn to to spot, you know, the greenwashing. Um, I I try to think of of other examples. Okay, for example, like if I if I get invited to um, to see a new attraction in the area and in the Dominican Republic, let's say, you know, uh, it's a new hotel, there's a new attraction with it. And I ask, oh, great, what are the green features? You know, um, and it takes like 10 days to get the answer. <laughs> it takes 10 days and then they say, oh, we don't have any information on that at the moment. <laughs> and I'm like, great, you built a hotel in the Caribbean, which is the most impacted region by climate change, and you have zero green initiatives, and I'm supposed to write about no, 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 no. So that's you know that's just an example of, of the things that I think about uh, when I'm reporting. And um, and yeah, I mean it's it's hard. It, I will tell you that I have <laughs> I felt very jaded about the industry, you know. Uh, claiming to want to build back better, be sustainable. I, I, um, I really struggle with it because, you know, I used to write about that a lot from a business perspective when I was at Skift. And um, I think that's the time when I, 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 saw e I saw it even more at deeper levels. And so when I got out of that, I, I still, I, I'm still a fan. And like you, Jacqueline, I, I try to, I prefer to focus on people who are doing great things in sustainability and who really are making a difference on the ground. That's what keeps my hope alive. <laughs>
But if I if I just focus uh, on the industry, I have to say that uh, if we're expecting some kind of top down change, uh, it's just not coming. Uh, that's my opinion. I'm right there with you. Honestly, so much <laughs> of what you just said is so aligned with my journey. Um, and we've just come to the conclusion in different pathways. Um, <laughs> I started my career in uh, a few years ago, but I I focused on greenwashing and how it relates to eco labels, unethical online travel agency platforms. And I really mm -hmm. just started taking a deep dive into the actual problems within the sustainable travel industry. Because like when you look at the wider scope of just tourism as a whole, it can get super overwhelming. And then like you narrow in on the sustainable travel industry and there's still just as many problems, but they just look different. Um, and so to kind of navigate through that noise, I found that the most useful um, use of my time, but also that can help at least make this still a very positive career and impactful is by focusing on the businesses um, and the local voices that are doing really good work and amazing things, because um, at least you can have like a positive takeaway from that. But I completely feel you on feeling jaded from the industry because I'm right there <laughs> with you. I've been feeling I've been feeling the same. Saying that, like we we talked a lot about how you approach taking on new projects or or what you look for when you are accepting new assignments. Um, do you think that it's starting to grow like within the travel journalism industry that other journalists may have the same approach or um, they're starting to be selective about the assignments that they're taking um, to ensure that authentic sustainability is being showcased in the right way? Yes, I, I do see some pushback uh, which is great. I, I, I'm not sure that it's a, a sustainability pushback. I wouldn't go as far as saying that. But I, but if we consider DEI as part of sustainability, um, then I think I, I do see pushback from diverse writers um, who, uh, you know, because the industry still 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 takes part in tokenism. And so they, they'll invite, you know, one writer of color on a trip, you know, and think, OK, I've done the job. Um, but that writer will push back um, and say, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not being set up and, and going to a trip where, you know, um, where I'm basically going to be feel excluded, which is unfortunately what happens a lot of the time. Uh, and, and I think I, I see pushback where people want more diverse voices on trips. They want more, and, and, and because you need diverse perspectives, you know, and that's something that the industry just refuses to embrace. I think it's Im improved from some destinations. It's improved a lot. And from others, it's just more of the same. Um, and, and, you know, as journalists, we, we hear the horror stories <laughs> of people who are on the road and, and this isn't pre pandemic, this is post pandemic. <laughs> if we consider the pandemic to be over, um, it's still happening. You know, it's, it's, it's still happening. Um, and it's, and I, I really don't know why, why the U S struggles with this. Um, you know, I was on a trip, uh, recently, I think in November, I went to Morocco as part of a UNWTO media trip. And it was about maybe seven or eight media. And we were from all over the world. Um, 
and it was it was great you know everybody got along it was a fantastic experience um and one of the organizers told me why isn't it as you guys you guys get along so well like this is like the most amazing group or whatever and they were like well do you think it's because you're all from different places you know um because when we have american journalists there's always some kind of division you know and that really hit me like i thought wow that's terrible you know um Americans used to be known for being friendly, you know, open to, to to other cultures and everything and now we're seen as divisive. Uh and and the division is very clear, you know, you'll have the writers of color hanging on one one corner and the white writers on the other side. Uh all of that is is there's no room for that if we're really pushing sustainability, you know. And if we're telling sustainable stories and stories about impact, we need everybody's perspective and um and unfortunately it's something that the industry is just not not understanding for some reason or not not embracing i don't think to a certain extent but not much really that's a powerful story you know just to hear about that from you know i always I'm always humbled and eye open you know i i had the privilege of living abroad i was living in france during the pandemic and just watching mm-hmm. you know America unfold during that time, you know, during the election and hearing rhetoric, you know, just across the board. So what you just said in terms of the divisiveness is really interesting, especially in travel, you know, looking at it amongst journalists but also amongst, you know, kind of American citizens and how that spilled out into how we're perceived and I think, you know, globally what that looks like and what that means. So just out of curiosity, like with that, you know, Can you talk a little bit more about what you think, you know, led to that division and then how that kind of impacts your writing in some way? Does that change the way that you write too, you know, like just thinking about, you know, the the, the divisiveness of the US right now? Oh, you mean like within tourism or <laughs> if not Or, or yeah just more yeah this one i was actually more broadly speaking because it's <laughs> it, the yeah the i would say let me yeah let me clarify because i i'm curious on both that levels like in terms of the divisiveness i guess amongst you know travel writers specifically we can go yeah. there you know in terms of your yeah. group and meaning americans you know american travel wow. writers and then you know if that influences the way that you write. So knowing that, yeah. you know, that lens is there and that's happening, does that influence the way you write? I, I can tell you what my my thoughts are based on on some of the outlets I used to uh, contribute to. And the primary problem for me from a media standpoint is is that we don't have enough editors of color. Um editors remain primarily non-diverse uh and um and and it's not even you know I think it's just it makes sense when you think about it right because people hire who they think relates to them people mentor those who look like them um and and it's just a cycle you know that just continues and continues and so it it would require a lot of um a, a change in direction you know intentionality and you really just have to care You know, you just have to care. It's as simple as that. And for me, I care. You know, I care about who's in my stories. Uh 
I care about not being lazy and using the same sources over and over. I care about spending an extra two hours just to find a sustainability expert from the Caribbean because I'm writing about the Caribbean. Um, you know, I care about inserting the voice of an African-American um, aviation analyst or expert industry veteran who happens to be African-American because that's often not the case. No one goes looking for someone with a different voice. Um, and it's easy to just refer back to the same, 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 same. And so I make extra effort to diversify the voices in my stories. I'm very conscious about who I use uh, time and again or not. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, time is an issue, you know, um, time is an issue and, and I only have so many resources, but I will tap into my network as much as I can. And I'm fortunate that my network is, you know, naturally just very global. Um, just, you know, I guess just from the fact that I grew up in so many places and I, I know so many people in the industry, but I, it's still difficult though. And it still requires effort from my part even as a as a black woman i is i have to make the effort and i i feel like it's my responsibility um so so that's where i think my my stories are different and it doesn't have to be a story about uh, uh about diversity or anything like that you know just the mainstream travel story you know why aren't we hearing from more more voices and more experts i'm i don't know you know, and so so the industry has a problem with that. Journalism has a problem with that. We need more editors of color. We need to mainstream. Um, this it's too much. There's just so much racial division. I just don't understand it. And I didn't grow up that way. You know, I grew up, I grew up around people from all over. You know, from France and Lebanon and 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 Madagascar. And you know, these were my like my like my high school friends. You know, and so a lot of times I feel this frustration of people wanting to box you in into certain stories or into certain, you know, perspectives. And, and, and I'll, I'll give you an example of a, of a story that I had pitched, you know, I already spoke about this <laughs> on LinkedIn. I might've ranted, but the, um, I had pitched this, this story about uh, indigenous, uh, an indigenous experience I had in, in Canada. And the response I had was, you know, oh, we already have too many indigenous stories on Canada right now. And it really blew me away because how many centuries have we gone without indigenous stories from Canada? How many, how many articles have we had about non-indigenous people? Um, and, and who's telling that story? You might have five stories lined up. Who's telling the story? Is it a black female? I guarantee you it's not, you know? So it's, it's all of these little, you know, intricacies, um, and the ability to spot, right? People's blind spots. And we all have them to some extent, but it's, the, it's caring enough to make sure that you're addressing it. I completely agree. And I think having the courage to address it too. What it, when you were talking before, and especially the story that we had read about Santo Domingo, a lot mm -hmm. of times in tourism destinations, especially, it's you see that people don't really want to tip over the apple cart. Let's just leave things as they are and not unleash the fact that there's yeah. a story that's being untold yeah. or, you know, the, the fact that like yeah. the example that you gave in Maine, you've cited several examples today of like, let's just leave that be. Yeah. This narrative works for us right now. And 
Again, yeah. I'll go back to that example in South Africa. The reason that narrative of the French there and friendship works so well is because the whole wine industry is built on that. So it's chic and it's attractive to international travelers. And that's the perfect narrative to get a lot of money and investment in there. And but on the flip side, and you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about the example of the family that built that amazing lodge. The flip side is, is that it does create incredible economic opportunities there. So it's that, you know, that balance. But again, that story that's not being told, it that kept me up at night there. It really it yeah. deeply disturbed me because yeah. it was such a, a big part of the narrative. Oh, how chic the French are. And I'm like, no, the French didn't. The, this There was people there before and it just swept yeah. under the rug. So And like you yeah. had said, in so many of the places that you've traveled to, what was interesting too was that the local tourism authority there, and I hope they don't listen to this because I'll never be <laughs> back there, did not, you know, it was, they were kind of protective of not turning over the apple cart of like, you yeah. know, not, it, you yeah. know, oh, well, well, we don't know why it's not featured in the museum. And I'm like, really? Because it's not chic. That's why you're not featuring it. That's people don't want to address this. It fits with the narrative. So anyway, I just, I really, that's, to, to all the things that you've been talking about today, I think this is what needs to be addressed. I think the way that you're approaching it, the idea of impact and not, and having the courage to speak up about the narratives that aren't being told and the fact that there, there needs to be diverse voices brought to the table to allow those stories to be told. Because if it's the same old white dudes, no one's going to tell the story. And that's what's exactly. always happened. So it's happening yeah. there. That's what's happening everywhere. So. The, the courage to speak up to the people who matter and who are listening, uh, not to your not to your colleagues, but to the people who run this industry um, is critical. You know, unfortunately, not many people are willing to stick their necks out. So, yeah, when I think when it's what I saw there, especially, and I've seen it in a lot of destinations, it's when your jobs are, you know, money's on the line, you don't you don't have that luxury of speaking up, you know, and so it's like it takes somebody in a position of power and, you know, and they say allies or advocates in a position that that can take that risk. And oftentimes they they they're the ones that don't want to tip over the apple cart. You know, let's leave everything perfectly yeah. in there. So, yeah, um, but I on that on that note, though, I. I I, I want to bring up something. So you recently launched um, Tourism Lens, and I think Tourism Lens actually allows us to kind of tip over the apple cart a little bit and to look at really, you know, impactful and meaningful ways of, of looking at travel and tourism. So can you tell us a little bit more about Tourism Lens, what it is, and, you know, what are some of the projects that you're working on with that? Sure. Thank you for for bringing that up. Um, I launched Tourism Lens, it's very new. It's about a couple months old and it's kind of a, a, a new iteration of my blog, but I wanted to make it part industry and part consumer. And so uh, continue to tell stories of impactful tourism and ways that you can travel in a way that has, you know, an impact um, on the consumer side. And then on the industry and industry side, tackle some of the issues that no one wants to talk about. Uh, that are thorny, controversial, uh, or maybe open people's eyes. And um, that's on the industry side, but it's also there for, for the average reader to also educate themselves. And so I launched it so that we could have a place where we could talk about the real things, you know, talk about the real issues in tourism and, and share the beautiful stories as well of, of when tourism is impactful. Um, in a sense, 
I bring with me uh, an audience that is heavily on the industry side because of my work at Skift before I had a a decent following <laughs> and so they followed me over to tourism lens and and i have a newsletter that is currently free every month i sound off on a specific issue um and i also sound off on some of the campaigns that i'm seeing tourism campaigns and i share um, reading that's critical etc and i've just also started a series of interviews um, that will launch tomorrow with various industry professionals from from around the globe on a specific sustainability issue so it's all focused on sustainability and meaningful travel and what does that mean and the things that we don't like to talk about that we should if we really want to change tourism so um so you know it's just starting <laughs> but i'm working on on the i'm working on the business model side uh, and so we'll see how that grows Well, congratulations on the launch and thank you so much for having the courage to use your voice and shed light on the impactful stories that are happening within the travel and tourism industry and providing these valuable resources for people who are interested in learning more about how they can use tourism as a force for good. So we both really appreciate your work and thank you so much um, for joining us today. Because we always ask this at the end of our episode, I just wanted to ask you what in your opinion what is not welcome in the world of sustainable travel journalism for you and what changes would you like to see um, as part of the industry in the years to come what is not welcome right yeah so our podcast name is you're not welcome here. <laughs> right so we always ask what you think is not welcome in your yeah. field of work and then what you would like to welcome in the years to come <laughs> oh my goodness that's a tough one what is not welcome <laughs> single story perspectives uh saviorism um lack of diversity in in storytelling and also in in anything tourism related what i would love to see i would love to see people caring more about the economic impact of tourism about the dynamics of tourism and destinations i get that we when we're on our personal travels we we disconnect and you know uh, but i would like to see people more interested in the history and the culture of the place and how the industry impacts them on the ground who's excluded and i'd love to see people asking more questions questioning what comes into their inbox and um thinking about their legacy more and what they're leaving behind as travel media um i love tourism i think tourism is a is a fantastic tool for economic growth for understanding for exchange but i i would like to see an industry that is more inclusive that's really not at the moment we couldn't agree more so thank you so much <laughs> for this incredible episode lily thank this has you. been eye opening and such a valuable conversation so if some of our listeners wanted to get in contact with you what is the best way to reach you Yes, yeah, sure. You can reach me at info 
at tourismlens.com. You can also subscribe to my free newsletter on tourismlens.com. And uh, I read every email that comes my way. So, uh, so yes, I welcome, I welcome comments and collaborations. That's so. excellent. So we'll be sure to include the, oh, perfect comments and collaborations. Great. We'll be sure to include the link to tourism lens in the show notes, as well as the other articles um, and resources that Lily mentioned uh, in the episode today. So be sure to check out the you're not welcome here.com podcast link for today's episode resources in the show notes. And despite the name of the podcast, remember that you are always welcome here. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Thank you both so much for having me. It was really wonderful being here. Thank you.